Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer Podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to another episode of the OYMB Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Laping, and I, of course, am joined by my very talented co-host and love of my life, Christine. Say hello. Hello. You know what? What? I think it's pretty special that we live together, obviously, we work together, and we're doing this podcast together, and I'm still the love of your life. It is special. And I consider myself very lucky. Now, for all of you listeners, you may already know this, but we're planning to bring you two types of conversations through the OYMB podcast. This includes alcohol-free sessions. And this is where we will hear inspirational journeys from folks that have successfully changed their relationship with alcohol, as well as sessions with subject matter experts who will share their wisdom on a specific topic in order to help us live life better. Yes. Today's guest falls into the category of a subject matter expert, Jessica Seeley Jennings. Jessica is a certified professional counselor with over 20 years of experience working with mental health disorders, eating disorders, and couples therapy. In addition, she's a certified alcohol and drug counselor. And if you listened to episode 103 of this podcast, one of my favorites, Remastering Relationships with Jeff Jennings, and are thinking, hmm, is it a coincidence that Jessica has the same last name? Nope. Jeff and Jessica are actually a husband and wife power couple. They recently co-founded Relationship Remastery and help couples transform their marriage or love relationship using unique integration of neuroscience, attachment research, and positive psychology. Power couple indeed. Mm -hmm. Well, both have shown up in the mastermind communities to offer bits of advice. And today, during our time with Jessica, she's going to help us work through some very common questions and challenges that people have when they're taking a break from alcohol. An important note about today's show before we get started, which is if we use the word addiction today, we are not making any assumption that any of you listening are an addict. We recognize that there's a spectrum of experiences to consider, but I think in the course of the conversation today, we're going to talk about some really important things, and I don't want us to skip those conversations because they have the word addict or addiction in them. For sure. For sure. Okay. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's do this. Okay. Well, welcome to the show, Jessica Seeley Jennings. Thank you. It's so great to be here with both of you today. We are so excited to have you on the show, but um, 
you know, since we're a couple, we do feel like we're going to be analyzed throughout this entire conversation. <laughs> is is that what's going to be happening? Will we get a yes, scorecard? Yes, I, I will be analyzing you. So, yeah, <laughs> not at all. No, <laughs> no. So you can oh. send the report card for our relationship to info at one year, no dot com. <laughs> I plan on it and it's going to be super fun. So um, I love it. I love it. It's going to be a great time. I'm really looking forward to talking with both of you about these subjects today. They're they're very much in the, the center of my process and my practice. So, Jessica, I'd like to start this chat with asking your thoughts on some common phrases we hear in the One Year No Beer community. We hear things like, I have an addictive personality, or I have to be all in, or not at all. And I'll say, especially with my work in Mastermind, what I've seen is that this is not just isolated to drinking alcohol. It could be food. And it can be an all or nothing thing when people are setting goals around fitness and exercise. So when you hear this, what what does it mean? That's a great question. And it's so common. I work with people every day in the therapeutic process and counseling. And I hear all or nothing thinking. It's common in addictive behaviors. It's common in eating disorders. It's common in perfectionism. Um, I think us as human beings, we get stuck in polarizing opposites. We feel we have to be perfect and we push and push and push ourselves to unrealistic extremes. And then what tends to happen is we feel hopeless. We feel exhausted and we often give up in despair. And the pendulum then just continues to swing us from one extreme to another. And I'll tell you this, it is not fun and it's not sustainable. What I encourage people to do is work on catching all or nothing black or white thinking and move to what we call the both and thinking, which is a transcendent balance. And I encourage people even so doing to to put their right hand on one side of their body, their left hand on the other, palm up. And then I encourage them to put their hand in the center together and draw them down into their chest. And what I encourage people to do is feel the power that it is instead of the all or nothing that we are moving towards a both and. It unlocks the potential for sustained change because it is grounded in two very important elements. It's grounded in truth and love. And It's not just sentimental, it's actually proven in science to be the best way to unlock change. Mm. And Dr. Marsha Linehan in Dialectical Behavior Therapy, which sounds really fancy. It is, sounds very fancy. fancy. But that's what I'm trained in because that's what works best with addiction and eating disorders. It also works brilliantly in perfectionism and any Mm. other extreme exercise addiction or any other addiction we find ourselves in or just in compulsive behaviors. So dialectic has two meanings. First, it means whole. And second, it's encompassing two opposing things that don't seem to fit together. When they come together, they unlock a transcendent truth. And so the example of this would be, I have to be perfect to be loved. And if I'm not perfect, I can't be loved. And that right there is an all or nothing thought. And what we tend to do is then we unconsciously dig in and try our best to be perfect, have the perfect body, have the perfect eating, have the perfect life, whatever we might be pushing towards in perfectionism or in an eating disorder. The problem though then is we recognize 
our imperfections and our striving. And it's discouraging. So then, as I spoke of earlier, we pendulum swing to the, the extreme of being really hard on ourselves. So what I do is I break it down for people. And I say, when this is really overwhelming and you have a million thoughts in your head, pick one all or nothing thought, catch it, challenge it and change it. And it takes time, but it's unbelievably powerful. As we begin to catch one thought, even just today to say one extreme all or nothing thought I'm going to catch. So I'm going to give you guys an example because I love examples and I'm a really practical therapist. I like to give people homework, not because I'm cruel, but because I want them to do the work outside the session to truly grow and change. So well, we don't like homework, but we definitely <laughs> like examples. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you both. So for those of you who don't like homework, don't do this at home. Um, but the example might be helpful even just for the moment. So to catch something, to catch it would be a thought that often many of us have, which, oh, I'm not good enough, right? That's a simple thought. I'm not good enough. The challenge would be something like, I accept myself as I am and allow for growth and change. So it's this love and truth. It's the truth that I'm loved today just as I am, but I have to grow and change. And so then the the change it would be, radical acceptance makes way for love and possibility for change. And so the idea is as we catch it, we're going to keep challenging it. And then over time, we're going to continue to tell ourselves the truth and it will change. And that's the power that we have in, in cognitive neuroscience. We're finding that we don't have to stay stuck in all or nothing thinking. We can actually change our brain's neurochemistry and build new neural pathways to create this process of change, and it becomes easier and easier over time as we choose each day to catch, challenge, and change these all-or-nothing thoughts that are plaguing us so much. You know what fascinates me when you're walking through that, Jessica, is it is so common when I'm working with people in Mastermind to hear them describe a lot of compassion and grace and love for other people. Like if somebody else walked up to them and said, I'm not enough, I, I've been working out and I'm just not getting the results I want to get and, I, and I'm fat and they say all these negative things about themselves, usually people will step in and, and help that other person. But for whatever reason, when it comes to ourselves, we are just so hard on ourselves. We're so critical we don't show the same compassion. And Absolutely. I think that, and I think that leads to some of this all or none thinking. I agree completely. And the reason we do that is oftentimes our inner critic, which is very well and alive, is has been given the role to try to protect us against any further rejection or criticism. And so we feel the need to criticize ourselves more harshly than we would anyone else. And I find this every single day in therapy, that when we can unlock our power to be compassionate to ourselves, we can create an inner environment that is one of truth and love hmm. instead of criticism, contempt, and rejection. And that changes everything. Hmm. That's great. Great advice. You know, the word willpower comes up all the time <laughs> when we are not maybe as disciplined as we think we should have been. 
So, well, that person just lacks willpower. I lack willpower. But outside of this conversation, Jessica, I've heard you use the term willpower. And then on top of it, there's this um, you know, very scientific term, which I'm going to try to say correctly, neuroplasticity. And yes. I would love for you to explain to the listeners what you believe willpower is versus willpower, mm-hmm. and then talk about neuroplasticity and the importance it has on basically our journey for changing into the person we want to be and taking on healthy habits. Absolutely. This is so powerful. Willpower is so different than willpower. Okay, so willpower is about overcoming with this sheer determination and not really understanding the mountain we're climbing. Willpower is a surrender to the best way to overcome, the best way to scale the mountain. We still have to scale it, but we're doing it differently. And willpower is about working with your strengths and also validating your struggle to make the journey mm. more possible, more enjoyable, and guess what? More sustainable. Um, and so willpower is this very thing that's hard for us to wrap our minds around this neuroplasticity, this ability for our brains to literally create new dendrites, new neurons, and new thought patterns. And what that does is just like when we learn to ride a bike or learn to drive a stick shift. I'll tell you this truth. When I learned to drive a stick shift, I had to turn the music off. I would <laughs> freak out when I was on a hill and it was awful. It was this awful experience. And I thought to myself, I will never again be able to drive with music on. I will never again be able to think of anything <laughs> other than shifting. And guess what? I was wrong. My body took on this neuroplasticity and created muscle memory to the point that I didn't have to think about it anymore. And I'm really good driving stick because I did it for so long. Right. And even though I haven't done it in years, I know I could get back in a car and drive a stick. And so the same thing happens with new thought patterns, with new behavior patterns. At first it is really hard, but when we are working with our bodies and our minds and doing the best thing, we become accustomed to it in a way that our bodies begin to work with us and take over. Now, when we have had poor habits or patterns that have been somewhat addictive, it is is definitely an uphill climb. But that's where we're going to apply well power. So, for example, I love examples. Let's say we're stuck in eating too many sweets at night because we've been drinking a lot. We decide we don't want to drink anymore. And so all of a sudden at night, our brain starts to kind of crave, or we kind of start to feel a little bit like, Oh, I want some comfort. I want something, um, sugary. So we're used to that. And it's very difficult to replace that behavior. And some would say it's impossible. I do willpower for a while. I tell myself, no, you can't have that. And then I cave. Okay. So in therapy and in the process of understanding the way we work, we want to work with ourselves. So I encourage people to understand the function of their behavior. In other words, a deeper understanding of why you're doing what you're doing will help you unveil what you truly need. And when you get what you truly need, it's a lot easier to say no to that ice cream. For example, if that ice cream is is really representing just 
sugar to your brain because right now you're trying to detox off of the the alcohol that definitely breaks down into sugar into our bodies. We recognize that that is going to take some time. So we may want to go ahead and replace it with something like a bowl of strawberries. We may want to have something we can look forward to that's comforting to us at night that also speaks comfort and support like a cup of hot tea. So there's some replacements that we can do that actually help our body find balance. And once our physical body and our brain begin to find balance with our sugar cravings, and we understand that it's really comfort we're longing for, not a bowl of ice cream, we can start soothing with the five senses. We can start doing other things that actually create a better, more balanced physical experience. And what that's going to do over time is we're just going to physically feel better. And that's what sustains change. And I'll tell you this, you want what's best for you. So do I. We just don't always know how to get there. Mm. And so again, what do you do? You recognize any routine you want to change. Any regular routine has some kind of function to it, or we wouldn't do it over and over again, right? right. Um, so we recognize it, and then we replace it with a meaningful ritual that's literally best for us, that literally is something better instead of numbing with overeating, we might surrender to a caring act of kindness for ourselves, which might be a hot bath or, you know, again, a, a nutritional snack or a, a call with a friend that might meet our emotional needs. And then what we're going to do is we recognize routines, we replace them with meaningful rituals. We're going to repair our body, mind, and spirit over time with habits that actually create better sustainable patterns of life. And so we know it takes about 21 days to build a dendrite. It takes about three times that. So about 63 to 66 days to actually create this rising up, kind of this natural tendency to do those things on our own, just like you would give your time to, you know, you give yourself time to learn to drive a stick shift. So Jessica, wait, 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 say those numbers again for our listeners, because I can't tell you how many times <laughs> we see people in the challengers yes. group that are beating themselves up after seven days oh, because they yes. have not gotten to a place that they, th they think they should be. So will you just repeat those numbers again? Absolutely. So 21 days. 21 days. And that's why your traditional programs, when you look at things, it's like, why is it 21 days? Well, that's what neuroscience is telling us. It's 21 days. But the most recent research is saying we need three times that. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Caroline Leaf reveals that about 63 days is what's necessary for then these dendrites to actually stand up, rise up and hold that space on their own own so that we don't have to keep repeating it. Now, it doesn't mean we don't continue good habits. We do. But it's a sense of it's rising up in us to do it in, a, in an easier manner. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm going to be able after 63 days, I'm going to be able to drive a stick shift. No problem. After 21 days, it's there, right? But I'm still going to have to practice it so that it's it's sustained over long periods of time. So remember, keep practicing. It's about progress, not perfection. When we go back to that, as we talked about, if we go back to all or nothing thinking, we're going to get super discouraged. Yeah. But if we celebrate our progress, we find that what is best for us begins to emerge and we're, we're clear about what that is. This is better for me. I feel better. I, I know I may not look any different or, you know, I haven't gotten to that part in the process, but I know this is best for me. Yeah. And that's another sustainable part of change 
that says it's going to get easier. And if I remain in my old habits, it's actually going to get harder over time. So choose your heart. I choose the hard guys that gets easier over time. Let me tell you, that's the heart I'm choosing because it's going to be better for me in the end and it's going to get easier. Well, I love that. So again, it's well power, not willpower. And again, we need to give ourselves time. And for my nightly reading last night, there was a sentence that said, forget about practice makes perfect because that's not Mm -hmm. realistic. Instead, practice makes permanent. And I think that just summarizes exactly what you just taught us. So I love that. You know what? I'm going to take that from you because what I tell my clients is I am because I say practice makes progress, Mm. but I agree with you that it makes progress for the sake of permanence so that we can do these things that again are best for us inside and out. And it's so powerful and you'll, you'll never regret it because it'll make life better. In, in that advice, what I heard you talking about was the importance of self-reflection and discovering why Mm -hmm. we behave the way we do. And what I've noticed um, with myself is that I lose a lot when it comes to doing that in the moment. So let me give you an example. Um, We buy this a big container of cashews uh, and we have these in our pantry. <laughs> this and is where the couples therapy comes totally, in. Totally, totally. <laughs> and so I find myself walking into the pantry and mindlessly noshing on those cashews. Mm-hmm. And there are times where in the moment I'll catch myself and like literally, Chris, what are you doing here? You're not really hungry. <laughs> but then there's other times where I don't catch myself and I move past it. And then maybe a day or two later, I'll think probably when I have a stomach ache, uh, geez, (laughs) why have I been eating so many cashews? So my question to you is, is there something that we can do? Is there an easy tactic that we can employ that helps us in the moment catch ourselves when these things are doing, when we are doing these things? Yes, I think that's a great that's a great query. It's what do we do? And I think I think we seek to understand again, there I am searching for this. What does it represent to you? So again, I like depth therapy because I want to know what this means. What does it mean to me? And, you know, maybe for some people it means I need more, you know, substantial fat in my diet. That's fine, right? Or mm. I'm you know, I'm eating this because I'm bored. Okay, well, what do you need to challenge you right now? Because if we have compassion for ourselves, because a lot of people who struggle with overeating have had very upsetting traumatic things happen to them. And if we start with compassion and inquiry, understanding, just to seek understanding for yourself and say, hmm, why would you be bored right now? What's that about for you? Instead of judging, instead of being harsh and cruel, um, instead of calling names or saying, why don't you have any self-control? Remind yourself, okay, um, this is not about willpower. What would be the best thing for me? What would be the willpower in this? Well, what it is, is to have compassion, seek understanding, and find comfort in that place of your need. Because we all have needs. We need to eat. Food is fuel for our bodies. And if we're ever using it for anything other than that comfort or to, you know, um, ease boredom or things like that, 
it's going to backfire on us. We're going to get a stomach ache or we're going to, um, over time just not feel well. And that's when we want to just seek our best by replacing it with something more meaningful, something best for us. And so I love this idea of the three things is recognize, replace, and you will repair. And that's the beauty of this is just call it to mind. And so maybe you put a little sticky note on your cashews with a smiley face to say, you are important today. Take Mm. care of yourself. Because that's different than it's, I always encourage adding something, not taking it away when you're talking about changing your food habits, add something. So if you're bored, add a meaningful ritual to your day that is exciting and challenging to you. If you're, um, if you're hungry, eat more in the morning, you know, (laughs) it's like eat more substantial foods because some people struggle with restriction. And so that's why they go and they end up not realizing they may be low on certain vitamins, minerals, Mm -hmm. or or fats in their diet. And that's okay um, to, to, to supplement. It's okay to find balance with that, but I'd say recognizing it. And then again, that positive replacement that says, I don't have to take something away. I can add something to my life that's meaningful. And that's again, not about numbing through excessive eating. It's about surrendering to care for your body in the way you need it most. Well, I'm going to go with, I just need more fat. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we'll have to schedule our couples therapy. I have a suspicion of what's happening with the cashews, but let's move on, shall we? Next question. Enough about the cashews. The cashews. Delightful though. I do love some cashews. (laughs) So Jessica, moving right along (laughs) from with the work you've done with the mastermind course, you know, that we were, we reflect, reflect and evaluate six streams of positivity. And these are basically core keystone habits that have a big halo effect on our life. And that when we do these things um, magically, as some people have said, (laughs) other areas of their life improves. And one of those six streams of positivity that we have people evaluate themselves on is connection. And I'm always surprised at how low people score themselves in the area of connection, especially Mm -hmm. because, you know, in the OYMB community, we've all taken a risk to step out there and meet new people and to lean on a community for support. So I naturally would think that we would all give ourselves some credit for wanting to uh, connect. But there does appear to be a trend. Most people are communicating at this point in their process of their alcohol-free journey that they are not doing well in connection. So based on your professional experience, does that surprise you to hear that? It does not. It does not surprise me at all. And I'll share with you why. Connection is a deep human longing, and we are discovering as we learn more about biology and our makeup that we are built to bond. We are built to connect and to live in deep community. And part of the issue is we have a chronic um, epidemic of loneliness in our culture because we have been trained and taught um, collectively and individually to be very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so this longing for deep relationship is still there, but the avenues are not always there. And so we often then create in our minds a better understanding 
to the best of our ability as to why is this happening for me? Why am I not feeling connected? And often we come up with a very negative assumption that I'm just not good at relationships or I'm broken or I can't connect somehow. Um, but I believe we can. I believe that we are made for it. And so that would be my number one encouragement is to, again, catch any negative thought you have about your ability to connect and remind yourself, no, I am a human being made for deep connection. And it's very interesting to me, um, for any skeptics out there, the Harvard Longitudinal Study on Happiness found this. They were not looking for any specific thing related to happiness but they found the number one thing responsible for our long-term health, physical health and emotional happiness was quality of relationship. Mm. And so it does not surprise me at all that we are all on a quest to connect, that we all want to feel seen and known and loved in our relationships. And oftentimes the quality of our relationships struggles because of societal as well as internal struggles. And so when we are on that quest and we struggled perhaps on and off throughout life to, to feel connected or to have someone emotionally there for us, uh, it's understandable we would suffer in this way, that we would find kind of chronic patterns of disconnection rather than connection. And one of the reasons for this is because we need connection so much. We know it in our very being that it is responsible for our health and happiness. We fear it when it is not there. And so what that does is it, automatically throws us into what we call in attachment theory, our fear brain. So our fear brain is something you guys have all heard of. It's our fight or flight. Mm. And we think it's only there if we get scared or someone's trying to like steal our purse, but <laughs> it's actually there when we fear disconnection mm. because again, neuroscience is our friend and it's revealed that emotional disconnection lights up the same part of our brain physical pain mm. we fear it because it's physically painful for us to be rejected by others and so that's where when we have our first experiences of rejection it's usually in childhood it's from family of origin or it's from friend groups and so we make a story around that we seek to understand it and we generally blame ourselves and so therefore in our adult experiences of disconnection our fear brain kicks in we become highly anxious and we fight or we flee they also understand we also sometimes freeze so freeze fight or flee those are our choices but now that we understand it we can begin to stop that process and we can begin to share with those we love the most you know what i'm feeling disconnected right now or we can stop and say oh i'm feeling this gut-wrenching feeling of pain and disconnection and I don't want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Instead of believing the lie, we're not made for connection. Remind yourself that every human being is made for connection. And we just have a fear when we are disconnected. Yeah, I, I, I love what you're saying. And there's my brain is just buzzing. Um, <laughs> so many things to respond with. But so many things. I, what is. I wish so much is that we as a human race could be more vulnerable in saying that stuff, right? So instead, what happens is, again, people either fight or flee or freeze, instead of just saying, you know what, I feel really lonely right now. Will you hang out with me? Right? Yes. And just even saying those words so many times, so many people would show up and say, yeah, let's do it. Let's play a game or let's get on Zoom or whatever. But because those words aren't said, and we react differently, 
it then spirals into all these unhealthy habits. Well, can I jump in there too? What I would say is just going back to some of the basics for me to be able to say to you, hey, I need you right now. Um, I need your help. I need your support. I have to have vulnerable trust with you. Mm -hmm. And the basic blocking and tackling around vulnerable trust and how you achieve it is just time. Yeah. It's just making chicken or the egg, right? It's making (laughs) sure you spend time with somebody. And the fact of the matter is, and this is why I think it's so important to us with our connections to take a break from alcohol. Because often our time with each other is clouded when we're drinking. Absolutely. And the reality of it is, is let's say we're enjoying a few cocktails and that's our nightly routine. And we spend an hour and a half doing that. What would happen if that hour and a half was actually focused on something different? Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're learning now. And I'm sure, Jessica, you have, you know, many thoughts or opinions around this, but we talk about it a lot in this house because you used to always hear about these interventions when someone did have an addiction problem, right? Like the the best way is to have an intervention and then basically tell them, hey, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You go away if you can't change. But now what mm-hmm. we're learning is the opposite of addiction is connection. Yes, absolutely. And we didn't get into the addiction because we couldn't connect. We numbed from the times that we felt we weren't uncapable, you know, incapable of that. And so again, deep connection is so necessary. We're seeking to avoid future pain by numbing through substances because we think, oh, it's so painful to be rejected. This way I can be with friends and still like feel powerful because I'm I'm drunk, you know, and that's not the best way to connect because it is numbing us. It is completely numbing us out. And so what we need to do is in safe community, we can talk through this a little bit more in vulnerability and say, hey, this is what I need to feel safe, you know, and that's what we can do with people that we trust to keep building that trust. And when we stop numbing, we can start better connecting. And like I'm saying, we were capable of it all along. We just didn't believe it. And we didn't know how to do this. And that's where I want you to have compassion for yourself is no one teaches us how to do these really hard things, mm-hmm. um, like being vulnerable. And it's really hard to practice it if we don't have the skills. And so that's what this can do for all of us. It can give us some basic skills and and the the way to verbalize what we need and the knowledge that as we do, we're more likely to get what we need in community. And that's just empowering. Yeah. Well, you have shared so many great bits of knowledge with us today. Um, But to maybe kind of wrap up the conversation, you know, for our listeners that are trying to take a break from alcohol, whether it's through a one-year no-beer challenge or on their own or another program, and they're just struggling to get a good streak of days together of being alcohol-free, what advice would you give them in this journey? Absolutely. I'd say keep practicing this non-judgment that we're talking about, this self-compassion that we're talking about at the core, that as you identify that part of you that's so quick to criticize, do the work of catching, challenging, and changing these thoughts because there is a 
there's not just a criticizer in you that's um, that's rising up to hurt you. It's actually a part of you that's rising up to say, I don't know how best to protect you. And this is all I know to do. And so we want to be compassionate towards the criticizer as well to say, I know you're afraid, but how you're going about this is not working. And then we want to look at the part of us that's being criticized, that part of us that feels vulnerable and, and hurt by these harsh words that just like, get it together. What's wrong with you? Like that might be what the criticizer is saying. And the criticizer is saying, I'm hurting. I'm scared. I don't know what else to do. I need support. And that's where we can transition into the compassionate observer. And there's a powerful exercise that helps us look at all three of these things in, in the therapeutic process that I would encourage all of you to become the compassionate observer to these two parts of you, to know that the criticizer is there because he or she doesn't know what else to do. And so instead, um, you can you can recognize the fear that's there and rise up in wisdom and compassion. And so phrases that you can speak over yourself this week to take the next step would be, you're exactly where you need to be to take the next step, to tell yourself that you have everything you need to become who you are intended to be. You don't have to be anyone else. And applying this compassion to ourselves, eventually as we can learn to apply it to others as well, then we give permission to show up and be real in our relationships, to be who we are intended to be fully and freely. And this will facilitate the deepest connection possible to accept that we are this beautiful miracle and mess mixture. It's that dialectic to say, I've found truth and love by accepting the beauty, the flaws, the strengths, the weaknesses. Um, but this does not disqualify you from love and belonging. It actually just opens up this well power to change one step one day at a time. Jessica, that this whole session was so awesome. And I just want to express our gratitude for all of the work that you and uh, Jeff do with the one year, no beer community. Um, we just, Christine and I adore the two of you and have immense respect for all of the work uh, that you have focused yourselves on. And um, it was just wonderful to have you on the show. And I should just say uh, anything that you learned about us as a couple and specifically the things that I'm doing <laughs> wrong, will you please send it to info at one year, no beer.com. <laughs> Well, I am just honored to be with you guys today, seriously, from the bottom of my heart. Um, I do this work with passion because it's something I love, and um, I am continuing to seek my own change and transformation in my life and those of my clients, and I just um, respect you both so much for just uh, spearheading this and bringing this together because it's just an honor to be here today and be with you both. Awesome. Well, Jessica, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Of course. Um, they can reach out um, at jessica at relationshipremastery.com. Um, and that's a great way to ask questions. And, and if anybody would be interested in any ongoing coaching or um, just support, that's a wonderful way to reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you. So for all of you listening today, if you are currently taking a break from alcohol, uh, or maybe you're just thinking about it. 
I just want to remind you that you can do this. This is what the point of this podcast was today. Everything that you could want or need is inside of you. So you can totally do this. You're much stronger than you think. And I hope you keep moving onward and upward in your own journey. And thank you. Thank you to all of you for tuning in to another episode of the OYMB podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and share with a friend. And as always, I hope that you make it a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One